Welcome to the Mavens of Marketing, a weekly podcast hosted by me, Rachel Durkin. And me, Carrie Barrett. We talk all things marketing, innovation, sales, and business growth strategies, and the standard tried and true marketing techniques. Come for the conversation, stay for the savvy insights. And the borderline inappropriate jokes. Welcome to this episode of the Mavens of Marketing. I'm one part of your co-hosting duo, your lovely co-hosting duo. I'm Carrie Barrett, joined by the also lovely and talented Rachel Durkin. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm wonderful. How are you today? I do have slippers on with that dress. Oh my gosh, you know me too well. (laughs) (laughs) Meg and I saw you walk away before and I was like, she looks so put together except for the slippers. (laughs) The slippers and really it don't look very close. It's one of those like good from afar, far from good scenarios where if you look closely, you begin to see all the cracks. Like for example, I have my hair in a scrunchie and uh, I'm wearing makeup from yesterday because yesterday was one of those days. (laughs) <laughs> and apparently last night and this morning as well. <laughs> and last night was one of those nights, but not in a good way. Uh, with that said, we are so excited to talk to our lovely guest today, Meg Eugenti. How are you? Hello, ladies. You both look wonderful. Thanks for right. having me. Well, we're super excited to talk to you. You want to take a quick moment and introduce yourself to the audience, let them know what you do. And of course, by that account, what we're going to be talking to you about today as well. Sure. So um, Maggie Genti, I am part of Focus USA. We are a data and analytics company that specializes in digital and direct marketing solutions. So helping you understand more about your ideal target audience and then how to reach them through digital and direct mail solutions. I imagine that has changed quite a bit over the past year or so. The way the algorithms work, the technology, um, is it? how do you keep up with it? You know, you know, what's funny is data science. I think Forbes said it was the sexiest job you could have in 2012. And now they're predicting its extinction in 2025. It's funny. I've never heard that. Yes, because, you know, the traditional way data science works now, it's almost, I equate it to like an art form, right? So like, what do you guys think of when you think of data? Numbers and pretty reports at the end of it. (laughs) Yeah, right? So you think reports, numbers, graphs, all of that kind of stuff. When I think of data, I think of people, right? So what we do is really people-based marketing. Think about your grandmother. Think about the last time you moved, your kids, all of that. And we're constantly giving out all of this data across the internet because we're such in this digital culture right now. So, you know, the way that data science has really evolved and that the data scientists has really evolved is because the amount of data that we're collecting and that the consumers are giving out on a second by second basis Mm -hmm. and the speed at which they're giving it out, they've had to evolve. So data science isn't going extinct. It's just changing into more like data engineers, right? Because you have to go in and build out this technology with this data science background to really meet the demand and what marketing is, is asking for today. And I also remember, I'm not going to date myself, but like back when I was in college, when we looked at like the audience DNA, it was like X, occupation, income, all very tangible uh, data points. And now it's behaviors. It's all about behaviors, right? So tell us, talk to us about for those marketers who are not using data effectively, like what, what could they be doing if they, you know, kind of just opened the box inside? 
Do you know what's really funny is a lot of people don't know a lot about data and how much data they already have access to. So when you think about data, you think about first party data, right? That's the data for subscribers that have opted into you. That's your customer list. That's your brand asset, right? Um, you have second party data. So that's somebody else's first party data that's used in almost like a white room scenario where it can't be contaminated, but you have usage rights to it. Then you have third party data. So that's with a company like Focus USA that has all of this aggregate data that you can use to enhance or build lookalike models to reach people that look like your customer. But what's cool about now is that there's this whole fourth scenario that's zero party data. Have you guys heard of this? I haven't. So zero party data is preference data. So that's data that the consumer is willingly handing over to you to tell you exactly how to engage with them. So you're getting that data from chat box. You're getting that data from survey information. You're getting that data from just what's happening on your website. How long are they watching your video? Those are all data points that you can collect now for free. Right. <laughs> so I've actually been using that type of data and I didn't know what it was called. You didn't know what it's called. Zero party data. There, now I'm going to be fancier when I'm talking to people. So, <laughs> so I was going to wait for later in the podcast to talk about this, but since you brought it up, uh, you know, I, the iOS updates cause major changes. Now, if you're on your phone, especially if I don't know if it's on Android, but when I'm on my, my Apple, I'm constantly getting asked, do you want this app to share your data or collect your data? And you can opt out. And I, I understand that most people are opting out of this. So how is that affecting, you know, is that, what changes are happening that are affecting your industry right now? So our industry is all about predictive modeling, right? Figuring out past behavior to predict future behavior. And you do that through all of the data that's collected through apps, right? That's like the real time data that's used to build out these intender models. So with the iOS update, allowing all of these individuals to opt out, well, number one, that's really great for preference information. You know that that's not a channel you need to be reaching them through. You need to figure out a different way to engage with them and a different experience to cultivate for them. But what's challenging about that now is you have less and less data to work with. Apple is also coming out with the mailbox privacy protection plan, which means that you are no longer allowed to send emails to somebody. They're going to strip your pixel information that's going to collect user information. So for people that are sending out even first party emails through a MailChimp or whatever it is to your own customers, if it's through their Apple Mail app, the Apple cache is going to open your email and scrub all of your pixel information. So your open rates are going to look amazing, but they're not accurate. You don't know who actually saw your email and engage. So your metrics and what you need to be looking at is going to change drastically. So my advice to people um, that are going to be, because other agencies, other marketers, other business owners that are going to be looking at this and like, how do I combat this? Just take a look at your data. What percentage of your data is an Apple, right? Look at uh, the devices that your individuals are actually opening from and see what you need to do now to engage with them in a different mm -hmm. way or to understand what your metrics are going to have to change. And also when you're looking at the rates, what, you know, make sure that you're not, that you're taking the changes into account. I have clients that are, that will say, oh, well, my open rate skyrocketed or plummeted or, and it's not always user behavior that's causing it. It's also often algorithm shifts that create those issues, right? A hundred percent. And I think a lot of the changes that are happening right now is people are really gravitating from multi-channel where it's one audience mm -hmm. through multiple channels or cross-channel if you will to an omni-channel so you're looking at all of these different 
touch points and tactics working together and interconnected and integrated in a way that's creating an entire user experience or customer experience or digital experience, which is all the same thing, right? In the past 18 months, it has been. Um, so just really understanding that at the end of the day, what are you trying to accomplish? What is your intention behind this campaign? That's it- always about the touch processes I talk about. I always, I always preach nine to 13 touches to engage your audience and that shifts depending on the industry you're talking to. But if I have an open rate at one point in the touch process and then a different open rate at a different point in the touch process, I'm okay with that depending on what the behavior is and how many times someone's been touched and where they are in the funnel. So you're speaking my language. Carrie, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I know you have no, a question. No, 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 not at all. I was busy listening to you talk about how many times someone has been touched. And I was like, I feel like this is another conversation, but it's not. <laughs> we can always count on you to take it in a weird direction. Did anybody, by the way, just hear my child scream at the top of their lungs as if they were being murdered or murdering someone? No. no that was just me. No, I did it. Well, keep- <laughs> you're all good. So Perfect. Meg, I am sort of a, I look to Rachel for understanding how all of this works when it comes to campaigns that I may be running. But for the average business owner, maybe for somebody like myself, or frankly, the average business owner probably has a little more knowledge than I do. I hope they do anyway. How do you use this information? How do you use this data, wherever it's coming to you from, to do a campaign? So the first thing you have to do is have it all in a centralized place that makes sense for your business. So that is your CRM, your customer relationship management platform, right? Um, There's a beautiful amount of um, integrations out there right now, monday.com, Salesforce, you name it, HubSpot. There's a lot of really great tools out there for small business owners in particular to really make sure you have a place to house all of this data that you're collecting or not collecting, right? Um, But structuring it in a way that's going to actually affect your business. And the first thing you have to do is make sure that it's clean, right? If it's dirty data, it's not deliverable, your name is misspelled, whatever it is, you have to make sure that that first touch point or every touch point you're engaging in a personalized manner with your customer, right? So making sure it's clean is going to make it 30 times more effective. That's the first thing to do. Okay. okay. Then, then once your data is clean and you have it all in one spot, what do you do next? So the next thing you want to do is see where all of your data came I think what she's, um, I think Meg, what, what, what I want to help the audience understand is the application. So, you know, clean data in my world is like, or in your world too, well, you're much more organized than I am. So it's probably better. When we get into a client CRM, it's <laughs> the data is usually a mess. We're constantly cleaning the data. And it's like the closet in my house where I put all my crap. It That's what your, some people's CRMs look like, right? Like, eh, I'm just going to worry about this later. And so there's duplicate records, there's inconsistencies, there's misspelled names, there's people move and it doesn't get updated. So I hear you. What I want to make sure um, our audience understands is the application of this. Why do they want clean data? Like, what can they do with it? if they have it. <laughs> and then yeah. we'll go back to the steps to get there. Because I don't, I don't know that everyone's understanding how they can truly use this. Ah, okay. So have you ever used your customer data and onboarded it into a Facebook environment to serve ads? Yes. Okay. If you have dirty data, you're going to have a much lower match rate than you should. Got it. Okay. Right. Oh, why don't you explain what a lookalike, what a lookalike is? 
Like, yeah. what is a lookalike? So a lookalike is where it's really funny because there's a lot of different ways and there's two kind of lines of thought on this. So you basically, the idea of a lookalike model is you put your data in, you match it up against um, another database, whether that's Facebook data, whether that's Google's plethora of data, um, whatever that is. And then they use all of the information they know about the individuals that match their database to predict a lookalike audience that looks like your data. So using past behavior to predict future behavior. They have all of this behavior data, all of this insight knowledge on search activity, whatever it is on their own databases to then go out and build a lookalike model on their platform. The differences with that is that you never see that data. You have no idea who those people are until uh, they reach the lowest magic. Level. It's <laughs> magic, right? It's funny because we were talking about yeah. data scientists earlier and they were considered like magicians back like 2010, 2012. And um, now AI is really kind of pulled in the, let me make this easy. Let me make this more mm -hmm. accessible to the small business owner or to, you know, junior, quote unquote, I don't want to say lazy, but like maybe not as efficient <laughs> data scientists mm -hmm. coming into the market now. But um, the lookalike model is extremely powerful, not only in building out lookalike audiences who look like your customer, but maybe if you have lapsed customers, right? And you wanna see, okay, who can I re-engage with? Who's that low hanging fruit? Who's gonna be most likely to re-engage with me? Predictive modeling mm -hmm. and lookalikes are used in that scenario as well. And, and Meg, the reason I feel like companies like yours are so important. So the most accessible, to look alike concepts are, are on the social platforms, Facebook, LinkedIn, you can, you can load your data up and, or, or video for 10 seconds. I want you to then target conversion strategies to people who look like this, right? So that's how they aggregate and create data to create lookalikes to further campaigns. Mm -hmm. However, and we've talked about this on our podcast, gosh, a lot of times that in marketing, in your brand assets, the danger with social is that you're renting your followers, you're renting those eyeballs. And, but with email, you own it, right? Mm -hmm. Once, once you own someone's email address or you build your email list, you, you've got an asset there that can't be taken away from you. And so maybe I'm, this is like a really, I'm just saying this the wrong way, but it's very hard to get contact information that's clean from lookalikes, or if I say, I want people who are buying a home or just had a child or had this life event. And that is what you do, right? That's really, really where you kind of in, right? Yes. Yeah, so we have um, two very distinct houses at Focus USA. We have our data and analytics house, which is where we maintain, collect, source, aggregate all of our own data from point of sale transaction information to life event information to psychographic information, um, app information, all of that. Um, and then we have our media side, which is where we actually do our campaign execution to reach that audience. But what we do that's a lot different than Google or a Facebook, where you never see that data, is that we just hand it back to you. That's you see exactly who your lookalike audience is. You know uh, their names, you know their emails, you know where to reach them. In fact, you don't even know their one email, you know their primary, secondary, tertiary emails because 
let's face it, we all have at least five emails mm -hmm. that we just don't tell anybody about. So, um, it's what for we, the weird stuff that you buy online, I get it. <laughs> exactly. So um, it's one of those things where it's very transparent and we have built out a lot of tools um, specifically for our clients to make their lives easier. If they don't understand a lot about who their audience is right now. So maybe you don't need a lookalike audience yet. You need a profile analysis to understand in depth, more deeply who your customer is, what they're buying, where, they're, where they are online um, to really inform your message, right? Which is kind of like that next step in an omni-channel campaign. Um, mm -hmm. And we do that in real time. You upload a file and within an hour you get a very detailed report and the next day you get a call from a data scientist that's gonna explain everything to you. Um, so we've built out a lot of solutions like that that has made data as transparent as possible, not only for the consumer, right, who's opting into mm -hmm. the database, but for the marketer that's utilizing the data as well. And then you can just take that list and put it right into your CRM and it's already clean for you. <laughs> and it's already right? clean. And in fact, I'll even score it and tell you who to use on Facebook, who to use on Instagram, <laughs> who to use for email. And it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. So all of those numbers, do, 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 think of it like paint by numbers. Now you can make this beautiful um, marketing campaign that's kind of already ready to go for you. So for, for our audience out there, then I'm gonna switch over to, to target market. What does something like this cost? Like if they want data. So Facebook, in my experience, the minimum ad spend, so if you're, which is very different than what you're, what you're doing, but it's just one option. Uh, would be $500 a week per ads in most social campaigns. That's where you need to start. And then it can skyrocket from there. So what, it, what does something like this cost audiences? So like a simple profile analysis, just to get a deeper understanding of your customer is like $300, right? If you're doing predictive modeling at any like minimum scale, I would say you're looking at probably like a three to $4,000 spend. Um, and then you talk about media. Well, what's your reach need to look like? I mean, there's so many ways that that could go. So we work with clients that mm -hmm. are working with us on like a $2,000 a month project. And um, we work with clients that are doing a $250,000 a month project. So it really depends on mm -hmm. who your audience is, how narrow do we need to go and where can we make the most impact with your spend using data, right? Sorry, That's what it needs to be data driven, right? Yeah. And I'm like super nerding out here because like the fact that you get the data is like really exciting because again, with Facebook or LinkedIn, you're renting it and you don't actually get to keep it. So the investment, you're essentially buying an asset. Let me switch over a second to target audience. So you talked about like the models to create the perfect audience. And I always say marketing is three things. It's target market, how you're speaking to them, which is your message in a way that will resonate, which is usually missed. And then go to market, which is like your billboard or your email or one of those touches. Most people I think who are not in the marketing world think of marketing as that third one. Oh, I'm going to do social media or I'm going to do a billboard or I'm going to do an email and they're missing and it's going to fall flat because they didn't do their homework first. So talk to me when you're, when you're, when you're researching or really truly understanding the behaviors and the DNA of a target audience, talk to me about that. But one thing that, but I'm going to add a caveat. One thing that I find most people get stuck on is the B2B market because they think, oh, well, I just want to go after this industry. But at the end of the day, humans are buying from humans. You're not, a business is not buying from you. A human is making the decision. So you need to do an extra level with B2B where you identify the industry and the position, but then you still need the behaviors 
and motivators of the individual making the purchase. So I guess it's a very um, leading question of one, do you agree with that? And two, how do you do it in your world? Yes, that's a very detailed question. Thank you. Um, but it's one that I do, <laughs> right? It's one that we have a lot of B2B marketers that are looking for that quick, just give me a lead list, right? Build me a lookalike audience and give me the list. I'll have my sales team call them up right now. Mm-hmm. And what you forget about B2B and the behaviors, especially how they've changed um, and accelerated, right? We were always going to get here. It's just been much more accelerated. We're still human, right? We don't like to be solicited, right? Especially when we're busy. So if you're B2B and you're going after a business owner to make a decision or a business executive that's going to make the decision to buy your product or service, you have to understand that you are talking to someone who is busy, who's juggling many hats right? And you have to be able to engage with them in a way that's going to be effective, but they have to know who you are first. Mm -hmm. So the behaviors on how we see engagement from a B2B's perspective is a much longer journey than it is on a B2C, where it can be like a one-click buy Mm e-commerce or whatever it is. Um, But for B2B, you have to really, really invest in understanding your audience and how they're gonna engage with you from a branding perspective. And video is a great, great, great way to do that. But again, knowing who your audience is, knowing what happens when they engage with their video and then what the next touch point should be is an email campaign that's gonna land in their inbox at the right time with the right message. It's gonna reflect that video that they just spent 15 minutes watching, right? At the Mm -hmm. right time. So timing is a very big, key factor when it comes to campaign execution. And remember, it's going to be a long time from awareness to consideration to sale. And how do you use data to figure out timing? So use data, that zero party data is playing a huge, huge role in B2B right now. Um, And what it's happening is we're also seeing a lot of crossover in tactics on how we would normally reach a consumer audience to how we're now engaging with the B2B audience. Um, You guys have heard of over-the-top TV, OTT, connected TV, all of these things because everybody's cutting the cord, right? And you Mm want to show video in a place that's in their family home. Well, streaming services, all of that. We're seeing a lot more B2B-facing activity through that channel than ever before because, again, it's all around awareness and making sure you're reaching them at the right time in their home at a time in their home, like not seven o'clock at night when they're having dinner, <laughs> yeah. but when they are turning on the news, um, you know, because they are, they're taking a quick lunch break to grab a bite in their kitchen before they head back to their home office to mm-hmm. work on more business deals. We're seeing a lot more of that um, type of engagement with zero party data informing those decisions on how to reach B2B audiences. And that's all data you guys can collect yourselves, right? Yeah. We help you activate on it, but you don't actually need me to do that. I'm totally talking myself out of the sales. Uh-huh. I think most people would rather just you do it. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Can I just tell a funny story? I was, I remember who I was talking to now, but I was the, the kind of the concept of geofencing and for the, for people listening who don't understand geofencing, basically it'll, it'll find out where you are and then it will kind of, you know, write, you know, put a fence, you know, people listening can't see my air quotes, but around your environment. So maybe your home, for example, and it will target all those IP or addresses or devices in that geofence area. So for your parents, if your kids are looking at things that they shouldn't be looking at and it triggers an ad and suddenly on your phone or on your, on your other device, you see some weird, uh, 
ads, everything is is targeting you for a purpose. Nothing is random. So now you know what the other people in your house are looking at, by the way. <laughs> so it's a great new parenting strategy if you want to start stalking your kids. Just pay attention to the ads that are coming into the devices. It's also very interesting when you're shopping for your husband for Christmas or an anniversary. Yeah. You're seeing ads for what you're shopping for on their feeds. And you're like, oh, well, yes. that ruined the surprise. Like, size 10, honey. Yeah. Actually, now that's a really good point. Next time I'm going to start looking for all of the things that I actually want. So they start popping up on his feed to buy them for me. Exactly. I just figured out Christmas this year. (laughs) We do that when we're targeting for anniversary gifts, right? We have a lot of like florists and Mm -hmm. stuff that we work with and we're always targeting like anniversaries that are coming up. And that's a great, uh, great tactic. Yes, absolutely. It's smart. I'm really seeing the practical application outside of business for this sort of thing. Carrie took nothing away from this from a business standpoint, but now she knows how she's going to get the anniversary gift she wants. And to tell if her children were looking at inappropriate content online. (laughs) That too. Okay, I wasn't going to say it out loud, but that too. So Meg, tell our audience, where can they find you if they, you know, this is a lot, I'm sure you have a ton of content out there to further educate everybody on how they can apply this information, but tell us, tell us a little bit about where they can find you and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, of course. So you can find me on LinkedIn um, and you can all just type in my name. There's me. I will show up. And then I'm also on our website at uh, focus-usa.com. Um, if you're interested in learning more, just getting more educated, we actually do host a monthly roundtable called Coffee and Conversions, which is basically a virtual roundtable built for marketers by marketers. And our lovely Rachel is actually going to be on later this month. So please sign up. I'm very excited. And can I just, let me just say one thing, Carrie, how much our game is like shot compared to Meg. So like, I'm going to be on her on her event and I get like a mug and a purse holder and like a Starbucks gift card. Like, thanks for coming. And, and like you're on my podcast is like, I'm putting my makeup on last night and like, it's totally <laughs> a different vibe. Are you, so, are you, are you saying we may need to up-level our game a little bit? I think that I actually saw, I was like, I'm a little bit ashamed, but, but <laughs> I, I think so nothing way. Meg is much more organized than we are. No, I, don't know. I think most people are much, I know they're much more organized than I am. I won't speak for you, but I can yeah. surely attest to the fact that I have no doubt she's better than I am. Oh my gosh. No, it's all about the Probably. experience, right? Creating uh-huh. experience for someone. So, and I collected data because now I have Rachel's home address. actually that's very smart Meg so now she's geofencing me for just like different types of things and you are all gonna start seeing coffee and conversion ads start popping up it's gonna happen all over I do get that that. so really it's just all about her building up her data she's like hey what color pajamas do you Uh (laughs) wait so what what, what's your user experience today Meg (laughs) (laughs) I'm having so much fun with you ladies I am a huge fan um of both of you so thank you so much for having me I'm just geeking out a little bit actually back at you we're huge fans of yours as well and I despite the fact that I was really sort of just trying to take it all in um and Rachel really asked the questions I do have one question for you and it is a question that we ask all of our guests at the end of the podcast the question is sort of behind the scenes 
let's understand who Meg is as a person and, or some parts of her, I guess. <laughs> What's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you, business or personal? The weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. So not the best thing, not the worst thing, the weirdest thing. So I attract very awkward situations in my life. Like it just, it follows me. I don't know why. Um, so I guess I'll go with like the, the most bizarre weird thing that happened to me. Um, I was 18, just graduated high school. Um, and I was going to India with my boyfriend. First trip ever out of the country. We're going to India with my boyfriend to see his mother who just opened a restaurant there. Great. Typical like 18 year old summer vacation, right? Um, so we get, we have to get into one part of India in Mumbai, and then we have to travel to another part uh, in Goa where her restaurant is. And um, the taxi driver drops us off at the wrong <laughs> airport in Mumbai. First time ever out of the country. And we're like, okay, what do we do now? We have very little money and we're like, okay, well, we're gonna take a rickshaw, this like little like open taxi yeah, yeah. to this other airport. And we're like, sure, like we're, you know, it'll be fine. <laughs> They're not gonna take advantage of two young Americans. Like, that's never gonna happen. Um, naive and stupid. But anyway, we, um, we get in the rickshaw with all of our luggage, all of our possessions, and they pull down this random alley and they ask for the money now. And we're like, no. <laughs> so somehow we get them to actually take us to the airport, which again, we could have walked to. <laughs> like two minutes away um and then before I know it my boyfriend is sprinting out of the rickshaw like I thought he's just leaving me here with like these two like strange men in a strange country with all of my luggage and he's going to the police officers that he sees to make sure we're in the right place <laughs> or he gives them the money so like I finally we finally get there we make our flight and I just like start like oh my god we made it yeah Fast forward to now, that boyfriend is my husband <laughs> and the president of Focus USA. Um, and yes, that was probably- so like his calculated, like, do I go to the cops or do I leave her behind? Yeah, and it was exactly, just- <laughs> That should have like informed my decision. And you know, the, the more we get to know each other, the more you'll realize like every international travel story I have, it's a very similar situation. Like it's a very similar disaster. <laughs> I can't even tell you the honeymoon story, but like, oh my God. Yeah. Well, you're, you, you made it. And, and how was the restaurant? It was wonderful. There you considering go. I never had Indian food before. Nice. So it was, uh, it was great. <laughs> That's awesome. You have to be, I'm not a spicy food person and I've been to Indian weddings and you have to be very careful. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you can take from zero to 60 very quickly in the spicy <laughs> world. I just carry around milk with me when I'm at the wedding. <laughs> 2.6 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. Well, I'm very excited to meet your husband. Maybe not travel with him or if we do, we'll just stay in a resort contained environment, but it'll be really fun. <laughs> He's the good one. I'm the disaster. Like, yeah. oh, so stay with him. Let stay you with know. him. You gotta kick me to the curb. Yeah. Like, it just okay. it's, trouble will follow. Get rid of the dead weight. <laughs> yeah. Meg, you were amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure to talk to you and to our audience. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Mavens of Marketing. We'll see you back here next week, same time, same place. Bye. It's a teaser. 
Coming up on the next episode of the Mavens of Marketing, we are speaking to Henry Kaminsky. And if you don't know who he is, he is the brand doctor. So he's going to give us top three tips for selling on social media and turning followers into clients. It's coming up. <laughs> 